Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak. I'm your host, Elena Vox Starks. Hey guys, I hope that you're doing really well in this present moment, whenever and wherever you are on the globe. But I want to encourage you also to set aside a few moments here and there to dream up your best possible future. Instead of worrying about the future and worrying about this bill and that bill or where you're going to live or what you're going to do, I want you to think about the best possible outcome of a scenario or situation. So, you know, if you're dating someone and you really care about them and you want to be with them, for example, um, this is something I used to do when I was uh, dating when I was really young, I would, I had in my mind, I, I created my most perfect house in my, uh, in my imagination. It doesn't exist. I, I even drew it. Sometimes I would draw it, um, and color it and like paint it with watercolor or colored pencils, but it was this beautiful house in the forest. And I, um, had like the steps leading up to the house and the porch and how perfect it would be you know, like little birds in the trees and whatever. And even though I never got a house like that, I drew that to symbolize my ultimate place to live, like out in nature where I know I could feed the deer. I could see the pretty bluebirds, you know, blue jays. I love scrub jays are just the coolest birds ever. So I would always imagine that, that like, you know, I'm going to live in a house. It's that or something better either way. And then when I would meet somebody, I would try to imagine if they're in my house with me or do they stand out on the street? They're not allowed on my sidewalk, on my property. It was like kind of a strange uh, way of going about it. But most of the guys that I dated, um, never, I couldn't even put them on the sidewalk in my mind. When I met my husband and I first met him, he was on the porch um, my first husband, he, I, he, I tried to imagine him in the house with me. I could only see him on the porch or right before the porch going up the steps. But when I met my, my husband that I was with for 13 years, I saw him in the house with me. That's how I knew he was the guy. He was the right one for the time. So that was, that was a crazy visualization, but it always worked every time. And I knew by where I can imagine them in the house I knew how I felt about them. <laughs> it was a very strange way of going about it, but it was a way for me to test my feelings about a person or a situation. So for example, if I meet somebody and I like them, I try to imagine if, um, 
if I'm comfortable going to their place and spending the night where I'd be comfortable waking up with that person looking into that face. And if the answer is yes, then my next step is, well, what if I have them in my house? Would I, and I imagine them being here. And if I'm really uncomfortable emotionally with having to make them breakfast in the morning or waking up to them or dressing in front of them, then I know they're not the guy and forget it. Right. I don't normally have, I don't, in fact, I've never invited a man to my house into this apartment for like 18 months. I've had a guy that I was seeing was like the manager here. So he had already been in the house. He's the one that showed me the place, but I never, um, we dated like, I, like, I can't say dated. We went out six times, (laughs) you know, and then now he left, he left, uh, moved to another city. But, um, so whatever you're wanting to do, like maybe your goal is for a business, but you don't know what kind of business it is. So I want you to imagine um, you're waking up in the most ideal situation and when you imagine yourself waking up to start working, is it in your home? Do you get in a car or do you walk? You know, so you got to think about that. And then you have to ask yourself questions like, what what is it that I, I love the most? Do I like to be indoors or out of doors? Do I like to work independently of other people or do I want to work with a lot of people around me? Or maybe I want to provide a service where I I work with people for a limited time, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not, I have a lot of free time. You know, you got to ask yourself these questions because that will kind of help you know where you're going. Imagine you're making, um, however much money you want to make. So what, what kind of a job or a career or business would get you that kind of money, you know? So you can put yourself in your most perfect lifestyle. Is it living very simply, living off the land, growing your own food? And how do you reverse engineer something like that to get to it? You know, are you on top of um, an apartment building, you have the penthouse suite and you've got your own private swimming pool and your helipad and you're living in Paris. That might be what you want. So you have to look at that, reverse engineer it. And then today start making, make one small step every day towards that goal, no matter what it is, you know? So if you can imagine something, you know, and then imagine, so I was just watching Millennials. I don't know if you've seen this really crazy. It's like a telenovela for the modern age (coughs) about uh, people in Buenos Aires. And um, in one of the episodes, um, this guy, Juan Mo, his name is Juan Mo. And Juan Mo said, you know, (coughs) I've been really thinking about my life. You know, I worked, he's like, I had my girlfriend. We were, he was engaged to be married. And then, I'm not going to spoil or alert, but that didn't work out basically. And then he, um, ended up making some money and he, now he's, he's got enough money to survive for a very long time. And he was telling his friends like, you know, I feel like now I want to start getting my life in order. I want to have peace in every area of my life. And I thought that was a really good line. That was good. You know, at least that was good writing some of the writing in the show, I'm like, Oh my God, amateurs, but <laughs> some of it's realistic. Some of it's like totally not, but some of it's just boring 
you know, I kind of wish I could write on the show though, to be honest, because I do like the show, but I feel like, um, that was a really, that was a really good insight though, because you kind of need to get your ducks all lined up in a row, you know? And, and if you're in a situation, if you're living in a place where you didn't really ever want to live there and you're there now and you moved there for somebody and you're with that somebody, are you really happy with that somebody? Did they hold you back or were you able to change your dream because where you live is actually better than where you imagined you would be. You know, like say you imagined yourself living in the suburbs of Los Angeles, but you fell in love and now you're living in, in San Francisco and you're waking up every day, feeling the fog on your face and looking out over the bay and around two or three in the afternoon when the fog burns off and the pretty sparkling, glistening diamonds of the ocean you know, meet your eyes as you look around. I mean, for me, that's like one of my ideal spots. I love San Francisco. You know, for me to have a penthouse there, that was one of my, you know, it was like kind of a a possibility area, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, that would be awesome. You know, I would, I'm not opposed to Beverly Hills either because there's a lot of places I miss, you know, going down there. I love, there's a lot of places I miss going going to and museums and just, you know, I love LA. I love it, but I don't really want to live there full time. Right. And San Francisco, I, it just, the earthquake thing bugs me. Um, I have earthquakes here. Obviously everyone has earthquakes if you're on the Pacific Rim, but I don't know, you know, so I'm like thinking, oh yeah, well, all right. What is my perfect spot? Well, so far so good with Ecuador. I feel like this is my ideal perfect spot. I really loved living in Detroit. It was um, really a nice city um, as far as uh, museums and the symphony and going to the zoo. The zoo was unparalleled. It was so beautiful. One of the most beautiful zoos I've ever been to. And I like the zoo here, but it's it's a hike. I mean, the zoo here, it's like a five-hour hike up a freaking mountain. Like, literally, it's like a dirt road. It's There's nothing really paved about it. You're hiking up with rickety, um, there's like rickety railings (laughs) and it's like, there's some rewards. Like when you get to certain points, you get to see, you know, the lions and you can rest and watch the ocelots or the lions or, you know, there's like a part where you get to pet the deers and there's part where you get to go inside with the birds. So it's like super interactive with the animals. You actually get to touch them. It's really cool. I like that. And I also like the fact that they have every poisonous snake in Ecuador. So it's nice to know uh, what to avoid. (laughs) So you go in the snake house going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Don't touch any of those snakes. You see them in the wild. But, um, no, I like the things in Detroit, but I don't want to settle there forever. It's, it's super cold for three months. That's not a big deal. It's not like Minnesota where you start taking people hostage and you want to kill everyone in sight. Okay. No, I didn't want to do that, but few people did when I was there that actually happened. It was so cold that they couldn't take it. It was just like, that's it. You know, people go crazy there, especially at the very top part of Minnesota is just very much cursed land and, it's yuck. It's a yuck energy. But, um, 
I don't know. I mean, I love the United States. There's a lot of beautiful places. I was watching glamping. Oh my gosh. Today I was with my son. We're watching ideas for <clears throat> ideas for glamping because my son keeps talking about camping and he bought a tent and he really loves the outdoors and nature. And we were trying to reverse engineer his perfect life. And I'm like, you know, what if, you know, you could have a business of your own where you were helping people and you were outdoors. Like you could be a tour guide or you could lead hikes, like big hikes, you know, where you hike for a whole day and then set up a camp and then you sleep in the tents and then in the morning you break camp and keep going on the hike and you know like that kind of thing would be kind of cool you know it's not for me personally because I like to glamp and my my son's like what do you mean by that what is glamping and so we were watching videos I'm like well I want you to see it because it's the tents are enormous and we could see what kind of tents they use because what if we were able to set up a tent like if we bought some land overlooking a valley or with a massively beautiful view of the mountains it would be really cool to have a really really nice tent we could put real good furniture inside but it looks on the outside just looks like a weird tent like oh well, that's weird they live in a tent you know and so we started looking into it and i i got the idea whoa what if I had a glamping campground, a glamp ground? <laughs> so we started talking about like, oh, that would be good because we could, we get to be outside, outdoors in nature. We have, we provide a service for people a little bit, but for the most part, we leave the people alone. They leave us alone. Everyone's enjoying the view, but it's not a lot of interaction. There's a lot of downtime. So I could do my show. I can write my books. I can take classes online, which I love to do. And that might be kind of an ideal situation. So we start kind of tossing around some ideas about it. Like that would be, you know, we could add some activities, not just hiking, but maybe we could add, you know, stuff for children like swing sets that are so sturdy that adults can go on them. Then I could float. (laughs) I love to swing on a swing set. It's like so funny, but It's one of my favorite things since I was a kid. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be so fun. You know, what if we had like a little teeny tiny um, man-made pond that's not very deep. And so families with really itty bitty kids can go on like in a canoe. It might be fun. It'd be exciting, but no one's going to get hurt. No one's going to drown. There won't be any piranhas. It'll be like a swimming pool. (laughs) You know, and then we started looking into growing our own food. Well, there's ways to grow food without dirt, I found out today. And these huge towers, I'm like, ah, now that's a good one. That's a really, really amazing thing. So we've just been trying to think about what kind of a life do we want? Like, do we really want to live in the city? We love this city. Do we really want to live in the countryside? Will we feel too isolated? Maybe you want to work towards the goal of doing both. Maybe we could live part-time in the city and part-time in the countryside. Maybe we could find a smaller city where we feel like we're doing a little bit of both. You know, so we've been like, my son and I have been kind of thinking about it. Like, do we want to co-create a life together? Is he going to leave when he's 18 and forge a path on his own? We've actually started thinking about in a couple years when we have the money gathered that we might continue to travel together. Like we might really enjoy 
walking the Camino in Spain and we might enjoy, um, you know, traveling throughout Asia, going to Bali, going to Thailand, you know, checking out Vietnam, you know, going to Hong Kong, going to the shopping district in Hong Kong. You know, we were thinking about, I really want to go to Morocco. I want to buy rugs and lamps and the exotic spices. The, the spice markets in Morocco are, are amazing. You know, I've looked into all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm like an armchair traveler. You know, I moved to another country and I'm here now and I want to stay here, but I still want to travel a lot. So if that's my future and I'm going to travel a lot, I could still do my podcast. And for me, this is a perfect, it's like a perfect business, even though I don't really consider it. I consider it kind of a business, but I mean, I'm making almost $3 a day now. So thank you guys for listening. I mean... I make about a penny, uh, 1.7 pennies per listen. So um, it's not a ton right now. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You know, but my ideal life is that this takes off and enough people listen where I could be free. And then I could go to all places all over the world and, you know, do my show from temples and exotic places and, and tell you guys spiritual stories that I hear on the road from other people and maybe interview people around the world. I mean, that would be for me kind of an ideal thing, like to stay home most of the time, but a couple months a year, just get on the road and go to India and talk to them about the sex temples or, (laughs) you know, about the spirits of the Ganges rivers. Like maybe there's ghosts that hang out there, you know? So I've thought about it a lot, you know, like what would I want to do? What kind of a business? Maybe I want a hotel. Maybe I want a glamping, a glamp ground. (laughs) Maybe I want both. Maybe I could do both. Maybe I could get a hotel, get it going, make it super new agey and fill it up with enormous crystals and raise the vibration so high that only the highest vibration people can go there. And it would be like a, not really healing retreat, but it would be some place where people would be like, oh, I can't wait to come back. I felt so good being here, you know, and Maybe after I get that done and it could keep running on its own and then I go make the glamp ground. Maybe I could live in both places. You know, so I, I'm, I'm tossing around a lot of ideas. I'm not really sure what I want to do. And I'm waiting for my twin to come into my life. You know, and once he comes into my life and we are um, official, <laughs> then we can start talking about the life we want to co-create together. So I'm leaving my options open for that. You know, so whatever it is that you want to do in your life, you have to keep your options open, you know, because you can't really plan for all contingencies because life always throws you surprises. Sometimes they're bad surprises. Sometimes there's accidents and goofs, but sometimes life really surprises you and really good and wonderful things come your way that you had no idea. So before you uh, spend any moments worrying about the future, I want to encourage you guys just to imagine the best possible life for yourself and focus on that in your idle moments when you're tired of being here now. Uh, Have a little fantasy of the future. You know, what does your body look like? Maybe you are a little um, thinner or maybe you are a lot more muscular. Maybe your hair is shorter. Maybe hair is longer. Maybe you have a couple more tattoos, you know, you could look at like small things like that, or you can look at, 
you know, um, what kind of a love do you want if you're single? You know, like me, I always think of all the things I wish my love would do for me when I have one. You know, like the way he will kiss me, the way he'll hug me. You know, I don't really think about the other stuff so much, but, you know, the way that we will work together cooperatively as true partners. You know, how we we might not have a division of labor, like in traditional households where I'm the woman, so I do these jobs and you're the man, so you don't do those jobs. I'm kind of hoping for a lifestyle in which I can pay for a maid to take care of all the things and I can maybe have a nutritionist come in and make our meals or at least, you know, get, get us on the right track so we both are eating optimally for our health. You know, I'd like to have a pool boy clean my pool, for example. And I think about these things like, oh, what day am I going to have the pool boy come over? Like, I think about weird details like that. As a Virgo, I think of detail stuff that probably shouldn't but I imagine um, what's the temperature of my swimming pool going to be when I'm swimming is going to be like a bath water it's going to be slightly cool so I have to really work hard to um, warm up which means I'm going to get more exercise you know I think about these things all the time like not all the time all the time but I try to focus here now present moment what are we going to do today what needs to be done right now maybe I could listen to a YouTube video while I'm cleaning the kitchen, you know, like, and then I could be present in what I'm doing, but also I could see what's happening with <laughs> the impeachment, <laughs> you know, so I'm, you know, but I do sometimes have fantasies about the future, like, huh, you know, maybe if I live over near that part of Ecuador, maybe I might have a, a monkey friend that comes around and hangs out. I love monkeys. It'd be cool. To have some pet monkeys and what if I had a big enough land where I could protect nature and I could make sure that you know on the ma- greater majority of my land nothing ever gets built there and if I own it and my kids own it it's going to stay a sacred spot for animals forever you know I think about those kind of things too so anyway I want to encourage you guys for you know whatever it is that you uh you know, want to do in your life, I want you to think of the best possible outcome. You know, don't imagine that you're living in a tiny house if you truly want to live in a mansion, you know, on like on a 300 acre farm or something or a thousand acre farm. If that's what you really truly want, don't downsize because of other people's opinions and ideas. And if you truly, really, really, really want to live in a tiny house, don't um, allow other people around you to talk about, let's get a thousand acre farm because it's too much work. It's really, really too much work. And you don't need that much land. I saw a thing today. This guy has a quarter of an acre and he grows everything in towers without dirt inside this massive, it's like a a tent like um, greenhouse. And this, this woman was going through picking and eating little leaves off of everything. And she was like, this is better tasting than anything I've ever bought at Whole Foods Market. How is that even possible? And she's like, now I realize that there's like a dirt taste in most of my food. And this, this is clean. There's like a clear and clean taste. 
and he built these towers to uh, water every 20 to 30 minutes he's watering the plants and the roots are growing and when he wants to pick them out he just grabs the plant pulls it out and the roots are there but there's not one speck of dirt and when there's no dirt there's also no parasites there's no um there's also no um bugs <laughs> and there's no weeding to do so i was showing that to my kid today i'm like you know what <laughs> this is exactly how i want to grow our food this is it i was thinking vertical farming but these towers were they're awesome and he just plants the plants inside of um husks of um or shells of coconuts and i'm like well pfft, we live in coconut country so there you go we have coconuts everywhere we could easily do this so I don't know how you guys had what was your day like today did you guys have a good day did you um relax it was Sunday my son and I decided to go shopping together he was for two days like I'm not gonna go shopping with you it's embarrassing shopping with my mom and I'm like well if I go shopping then I'm only gonna get like you know not very much stuff because I can't carry it all and he's like okay fine I'll go with you and we have these enormous bags that have the the logo of our favorite store on it so we can't bring it to the other store that we shop at a lot but we took them and and we so we could save plastic save the environment you know and I was so happy that he thought of it I'm like oh that's so great and we filled those things so full like literally to the top and each <laughs> I mean they were so much I mean I can't believe we bought so much food and it was $50 it was at the expensive store and it was $50 less than at the non-expensive store so now I'm starting to rethink my priorities because the better store has better stuff and we got some um, Smucker's brand um, jelly or it was like the um, spreadable fruit it has no um, it doesn't have added stuff it's only fruit and we love that we're like oh my god it's kind of expensive and but and we wanted peanut butter but for a big jar of Jif peanut butter fifteen dollars because it's imported <laughs> so you guys think about me next time you go big got buy a big thing of Peter Pan or Jif peanut butter at Walmart for three dollars <laughs> 12 or no, it was $15 $12 more than what I remember I remember the big big ones were like $5 but you know maybe 6 in some places in some cities but unbelievable like just yeah I was like well you know they do make peanut butter um, here in Ecuador but they call it something different it's um, uh, Montequia de Mani or uh Mantequilla uh, de cacahuate, which is the Indian word for peanut, it's like crazy. But um, in 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 Peru, it's different. It's all different words, and here it's different. It's like funny though. You'll see products in the store, and you'll have like the um, Quechua words, and you have Spanish words, and then sometimes they'll have English words on the package because they're trying to appeal to a wide audience. Like some of the things we bought today have three languages on them from, you know, this region and, you know, you know, including English. I thought that was pretty cool. So, um, 
it was nice. I mean, I was able to get my my uh, juice, my naranja zanaria, which is like orange and carrot juice. I haven't had this in years. And they have, I didn't buy it, but they have um, kombucha. So I might go back there and get some kombucha. But um, it was nice. It was nice. We got Greek yogurt. We got steaks. We got a lot of tropical fruit, lots of mangoes, two different species of banana. That's one thing I like about it here. I mean, you could go to the store and come back with five kinds of bananas. <laughs> but it was good. It was kind of a mellow day. It was a mixed uh, bag emotionally, like, you know, a lot of tension for the morning part. I don't know what the astrology was, but I know there's a lot of emotional tension and stress and a ton of anxiety. And then in the afternoon, right when the sun was about to go down, it, it felt a lot better. It was a lot more emotionally um, mellow and stable, you know. And then my son and I, we got home, and and he's like, when we we're there, he's like, let's get a beer. I'm like, all right. So we got a couple beers, and he's like, I want a, I want an apple pie. So we got this little apple pie. So we ate apple pie, drank beer together, and watched our videos on um, technology and glamping and gardening. As we're trying to figure out what kind of life we want. I'm like, well, if all my investments pan out, then where do we want to live? You know, I don't want to just go buy whatever I want and then have him not happy. You know, we have to be able to do activities. He's like, well, I kind of want a dog. All right. So now we need land. <laughs> I kind of want to grow my own food. Well, we definitely need land for that. You know, well, maybe do we want animals? We're, we're talking about that. Do we want goats? Yeah, maybe. They, they eat grass. They're good lawnmowers. They're fun, fun company, actually. They're very sweet animals. Do we want sheep? Maybe. I don't know. You could get, get goat milk. I guess you can have sheep's milk too, but, you know, but if we have all that, we're going to have to stay there. Llamas, I love llamas. They're sweet as hell. There's some of the sweetest animals in the world. I mean, if they don't like you, they'll spit in your face. So that's not so sweet. So <laughs> they do have an edge to them. And goats can butt you in the butt. They do. They love to do that. They ram their horns into you <laughs> if they don't like you. So, I mean, okay, I like edgier animals. We're talking about getting a wolf. That's definitely an edgy animal. We don't want a wolf dog because wolf dogs are more um, vicious than, a, you know, pure wolf is more mellow. Or a pure dog would be mellow-ish. But when they're mixed, it's like kind of crazy. So we're talking about all this kind of stuff. It's like, eh. Hmm. So I don't have any information for you guys from heartmath.org. There just really is nothing at all available. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with their system, but... For six places on earth, I cannot give you the Schumann resonance. Darn it. But for the seventh one in Italy, I could tell you exactly what went on there. What they said. Let's see here. All right. Oh, darn it. Okay. Oh, yeah, you guys, I saw ocean spray cranberry sauce in a can today at the store. They have a lot of imports for the Gringos at Super Maxi. 
I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen that in years. And I'm like, should we get it? And they were like, no, because, yeah, I mean, the fresh stuff is better and you can get cranberries here, but, <laughs> but it was like for a few moments, we're like, huh, <laughs> do you want Oregon cranberries or <laughs> they're pretty good. I love cranberries, but in the end, we didn't get, I found Moringa though. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Zija juice, but Zija is what the African people call this tree and they discovered years ago and if you guys ever get a chance to get moringa powder it's really healthy really really good a lot of minerals and vitamins in it a lot of vitamin a and a lot of potassium it's very good for you but um i'm excited i can't wait to have it um i just bought it i was like oh, i'm gonna have a as soon as i'm done with my show now i'm gonna make a big glass of this um moringa juice moringa officinalis is this tree and they discovered it was growing in the most impoverished regions of Africa. People were going blind. Babies were being born. Everyone was malnourished. You know, the pictures of the kids with the enormous stomachs and you're like, and they put the really skinny limbs. And it's like, well, how could they be so fat and so skinny at once? And then I found out. So I was like, this doesn't make sense. How are they starving? If they're so fat. But, um, you know, when I was really young, I used to be really annoyed by that. It really upset me because it didn't ever make any sense. No one explained it until later. If someone actually did, they said, no, it's their stomachs are um, distended because they're, they're malnourished. They probably have parasites. Um, there's some issues going on. And then, you know, Americans, you know, don't know anything about what's going on with people there. And they're all lactose intolerant. And let's just send them a bunch of milk. That's what they need. They're babies. They need milk. <laughs> And gave him diarrhea, made him sicker. It was like ridiculous. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was a long time ago. But um, what they discovered, and this is so incredible, is someone discovered um, once in a while people would be eating the leaves off this tree. And someone's like, well, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's just the, you know, like the Zija trees or whatever. And something like that. I think that was their name. But um, but it's the Moringa officinalis. So someone started testing it. And they're like, oh, okay, this is actually not only edible, it's actually healthier than the greater the majority of vegetables. And so they started harvesting it and they started widespread giving it to all the people in that region. Made everybody um, actually nutritionally sound. A lot of people who had been blind reversed their blindness they ended up being extremely healthy and um, that was it. I mean, then they were had, all had energy for farming and gardening and people were helping them more and more with other things. But when they discovered it, it was like this massive discovery. And now this is, and it grows on the equator um, all the way around the world. And um, I'm glad that they just started harvesting it here. I never saw it there before. I was like, no way, there's Moringa here. It has a really good flavor, almost like pineapple. The leaves have this fantastic flavor. It's really, really good. And um, so I'm like, yeah, it's so nice. You know, $3 for a bag, it's going to last me for a couple months, actually. So it wasn't bad. I'm like, this is really good. It might reverse some of the eye issues I've been having. Although, thank you, God, I've only had to use my glasses once probably in the past month well three weeks and today was the first day I had to use them because there was this um, 
stuff that was supposed to be for females. I don't know what it is. And I'm just curious. And I thought, I like the packaging. I'm like, what is this stuff? So I had to put on, but the letters were so small, like extraordinary small. So I had to wear glasses to see it. But other than that, I'm able to read everything without now. But I know that the Moringa will completely reverse it all the way back. So I'm excited about it. You know, I know I have malnourishment as far as gaining all my minerals because there's not any good mineral supplements here. Like if you find a good mineral supplement, it has all the vitamins. And so you're not gaining as many minerals. And I'm like, I want two separate things and I'm just not finding it. Yeah, someday I will. Oh, Allah. God wills it, I will. Anyway, today on uh, DisclosureNews.it at 9 in the morning, they say, Today is the 17th, lately a day of recurring Schumann resonance activity, and the movement started yesterday, continued uninterrupted. The peaks are not at very high values, and basically 37 hertz frequency was what was reached right at midnight. The values remained constant around power 30, or 30 hertz frequency. And then the evening report was the strong activity seemed to have ended at 9 UTC today, lasted for 20 hours. That's pretty cool. The highest peaks occurred in its initial part, which took place yesterday. The today's the highest value was power 30 was as previously reported. So basically in the past 24 hours, power 37 or 37 hertz frequency. So pretty cool. Like you're trying to reload heart math and they're just, their equipment's just down. All right. In A Course in Miracles, we are on lesson 160. And the main idea today is I am at home. Fear is the stranger here. I am at home. Fear is the stranger here. And then it goes on to say, fear is a stranger to the ways of love. If you identify with fear, you will be a stranger to yourself. And thus you are unknown to you. What is yourself remains an alien to the part of you which thinks that it is real, but different from yourself. Who could be sane in such a circumstance? Who but a madman could believe he is what he is not and judge against himself? There is a stranger in our midst who comes from an idea so foreign to the truth, he speaks a different language, looks upon a world truth does not know, and understands what truth regards as senseless. Stranger yet, he doesn't recognize to whom he comes and yet maintains his home belongs to him while he is an alien now who is at home. While he is alien now who is at home. And yet how easy it would be to say, this is my home, here I belong, and I will not leave because a madman says I must. It's very interesting. It goes on, of course. <laughs> Let's see how long this one is. Mm. Ten paragraphs. It's not terribly long. All right. 
and then just I am at home. Fear is a stranger here. It's very interesting. So if you're interested in reading the rest of this one, um, ACIM.org, it's free, lesson 160, or you can download A Course in Miracles in app form. There's many different ones to choose from. It's all the same information. So pick the one with the prettiest designs and colors. All right, guys, I'm going to attempt tonight to talk to this warrior. I was saying he was an Incan warrior earlier, and he was kind of trying to say, yeah, but it turns out I found out when he lived. He told me, and then I asked God because he wasn't really sure because the calendar obviously wasn't in Ecuador, the one that was going around the world, or at least the European part of the world, because not the whole the whole world did not agree on one calendar, you know. But I started asking him some questions, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an idea of how long people have been here in Ecuador and at what point in time did he live. I've already connected with him, so he's willing to talk about his life and what it was like. And he was a tribal person, indigenous guy, and he was a warrior. And he told me his name and where he lived. And we're going to have a little bit more of a conversation when I come back right after these messages. Metaphysical Soul Speak is run on sponsors and listener support. This means listeners like you. If you are so inclined to support my efforts and my little podcast, please visit me at anchor.fm forward slash metaphysical and pledge an amount of your choosing today. Thank you. guys I am here with the indigenous warrior his name is Niata Panchungarata that's what he told me and he lived he was born in uh, the year 1438 and he died in 1475 and I had to ask God when he was born and when he lived because the calendar, um, obviously everyone had a different calendar back then. So basically what happened is the Incans came to um, conquer and rule Ecuador in 1463. So he lived in that time when the Incans were he knew a time in which there were no Incans here. And then the Incans came. And they, the Incans themselves, they came in 1463 and ruled until 1532. So only about 70 years were the Incans here. And then the, um, I think, is that right? So 40, yeah, that's about right. And then um, later in the 1500s, the, um, Spaniards, conquistadors came, they landed in Panama and came down to South America, south from Panama, which is 
if you look at a map, um, Ecuador is just below Colombia, and right above Colombia is basically Panama and Costa Rica. So the really skinny lands that connect the Americas are right above Colombia. And Venezuela is to the right, Colombia is to the left on the map. And Ecuador is just below Colombia. Okay, so what he told me, um, I asked him uh, how long ago do you live? He didn't really know. He said, you know, he tried to tell me, but he's like, I don't know in your years, so I had to look it up. So I had to ask God, but, oh, excuse me. Um, basically, he told me that he was a warrior and a farmer. And I asked him some of the tribal names that I saw here, and he s- seemed to respond to the tribal name Licto, L-I-C-T-O, or with an S, like if there's more than one person, the Lictos, L-I-C-T-O-S, not a Spanish name, it's a, um, you know, it's their tribal name, it's there from their language, and they were Highlanders, because he told me he grew up, and he was born near the Chimborazo volcano, and that is the highest uh, peak in the Andes Mountains, I think in all of South America, definitely in Ecuador, it's the tallest peak. And so he was a Highlander, and they were some of the fiercest warriors in Ecuador. And um, as far as how long people have lived here in Ecuador, they um, scientists have estimated, archaeologists have said, between 10,000 and 11,000 years ago, people moved here. So that's like pretty long. I told you guys that the Otavalo market has been in business every single day for the past 4,000 years. So Ecuador is a pretty ancient country as far as, you know, um, how old it is. The city I live in was founded um, by the Spaniards uh, 550 years ago. And we have been um, free of Spanish rule here in this city for 199 years. Next year is going to be a massive blowout party. (laughs) Um, I can't wait to go to the Fiesta de las Patriotas, the the, the festival of the patriots, basically. (laughs) The the fathers, the people who um, pretty much kicked the Spaniards' butts and got them out of here. (laughs) So it's pretty exciting. But um, So we're going to talk to Niata Panchungarata, and that's in his First name is NYA apostrophe TA Niata Panchun Garata. That's what he told me his name was. Pretty cool, right? Really cool name. So I'm going to send him to the light when we're done with this because he deserves after all this time. But I'm going to talk about um, his life, how he died. Um, I'm going to try to channel him because he's very quiet and sweet. He's got such a, a loving energy. And he's been hanging out with me for about four days now. And my son has come in here a couple times just to look out the window. And he's like, wait a minute, there's someone standing in the room. Why is this guy standing here? Like, so I'm going to interview him soon. And and he said, he agreed to it. He said, what's a few more days? You know, it's already been, my God, for almost 600 years, 500, um, 540 years he's been dead. And he's been looking for a way to get to the light this whole time. So... He doesn't seem like he's a ghost that's angry. He's just kind of confused about what happened. And, um, well, we're going to send him to light at the end. So 
All right, I'll ask him if he wants to go right now, if he wants to hang out with me more. But I will when he wants to. I'll let him go, obviously. All right, so we're going to get down to put the phone down. All right. All right, Niyata, am I connected with you? He says yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you questions, and can you answer? And he says, yeah. He's, like, shaking his head. So this is hard because I don't know his language. He doesn't speak Spanish. He speaks, uh, uh, is it Quechua? He's, he's shaking his head. So we're going to have to do it with emotional feelings, and I'm going to understand the language, but it's going to be a little bit different than usual because he won't be speaking to me in English. It's just, um, you know, we have to figure it out. Okay, so... So tell me what your life was like when you were a little boy in, you know, in the 14, the late 1400s. I guess you didn't know the calendar, but when you were little, um, what was your life like? He said, we, we lived uh, among the mountains and we enjoyed the cool breezes. We would run and run and run in the fields. I played with my brothers. And we really enjoyed our time together. We thought those days would never end. We had the sun on our faces and the wind at our backs. And we ran as fast and as hard as we could. And we laughed and we laughed and laughed into the wind. We really had a good time. We would sit quietly sometimes the vicuñas and you guys vicuña is uh it's a um well what's the word is it annelid I don't know a vicuña is an animal it's like um a llama but it's not domesticated it's wild and they're smaller than llamas and they're adorable they're so so cute and they're and they're uh, related to camels and they were uh, a lot of wild vicuñas a long time ago and then after the Spanish conquistadors and all the people came through the Incans and then the conquistadors and all that a lot of the uh, vicuñas had been hunted for food and they um, were going extinct so there's now in the mountains near Chimborazo which is a volcano it's a dormant volcano um, now they're um, there's like a park there and they are reintroducing the vicuñas back into the area they had captured some from peru and then they put them on this land so that they could um you know interbreed and then or you know breed and then end up having more just to reintroduce the vicuñas back to an area where they used to always be and i saw the vicuñas in the wild in peru and they were they were so cute. I mean, you're just like, oh my gosh. They're wild animals, but they look like little tiny llamas. They're just super cute. All right. And they're very fast. But people um, in Peru, at least, they put, uh, they, they run up behind them and they put like a bag over their head. And then they, they take them and they shave their hair when it's hot out. And then they put the fucunas back. And then the vicuñas will grow, regrow their hair. And their their hair is like, um, they don't hurt the vicuñas, they just shave them. <laughs> Which is so, it seems weird and mean. But it's uh, the alpaca, it's like alpaca fur is better than llama fur. And vicuña fur is the highest quality out of all of them. And so if you buy a blanket, 
made from vicuña fur. It could be up to, and they don't, you know, they don't use the skin, just the, just the hair, and they weave it, and it's really soft. It's luxurious, and it's like um, like a, a, a bed for a, a blanket for a big, huge bed would be like four thousand dollars because they have to capture these wild animals and shave them and then put them back in the wild, and it's like a lot of work. <laughs> Anyway, I just want to tell you so you guys know what a vicuña is. Okay, go ahead. Niata, okay. We would sit and we would watch the vicuñas and we would watch as the sun sets in the sky and our world was so peaceful, so very peaceful. And we grew up happy. We loved our family. We loved our village, the people in our world we were very peaceful people, but they did train me and my brothers to be warriors because we always felt that we should be on guard just in case, but plan for peace or, or plan for times that without peace, but live our day-to-day lives in peace. That was pretty much our philosophy that living a peaceful lifestyle and enjoying our family and our time and loving the land was the best that we could do for the world that we found ourselves in. We loved our mother earth so much and we would watch the moon at night. We sometimes had fires and we would sing and sometimes we would dance and we had our festivals and my grandmother raised um, the, the plants that she uh, would grow had, um, he's showing me there's these little, they're like um, little tubers. They're, they're like um, kind of long skinny potatoes and they're, they come in different colors like purple and um, yellowish, like a pale, um, like a butter color and white. And sometimes they're like, um, uh, kind of off-white with hot pink flecks of spots on them and I've had them they're very strange they're like a cross between a potato and a carrot even though they're not they're like completely I think they're related to potatoes but they're not at all like a carrot in flavor um, they're good they're strange but they're good and he's kind of showing me this that he's showing like his grandmother washing them with like river water and then she would make those. And he's showing me beans. They had beans and corn. And sometimes they would eat the corn on the cob and sometimes they would um, crush it. And he's showing me like a stone you know, grinder and that she would make like flat cakes, like not really a tortilla, but kind of thicker than that. And that she would make that for the kids and um, and you're saying with lime, yeah, okay. He's saying sometimes they would eat that with lime juice that um, they traded with other tribal people that were from the south. And he would, um, oh, and he says sometimes from the north. I guess the limes grow up there too. And so they would eat these with lime, these uh, things. And sometimes they would catch fish from the rivers. And sometimes I think the ponds, yeah, he's saying like the ponds or lakes, but there's not, I think it's more uh, rivers up there, but he was showing me what looks like a, a big, big pond. 
but it's kind of a small lake or, you know, in the middle somehow. And um, he says his mother was a weaver. She would make the clothes and she and some of the other women would get together and they would make the um, hairs into the, the, uh, um, the string and then they would make that into clothing and they would make it very beautiful. And he's showing me that they dyed the fabric with berries. All right, what else, what else? We wanna know more. And so, and he says his father was a great hunter. He was a warrior and he taught him how to go vicuña hunting like his grandfather had taught him before. And so how did you do it? Okay. He's, I was like trying to, you know, me, I was like, oh, maybe they're on horses, right? No. He's showing me they're, they're hunting. They had like, um, weapons. Okay. He's like showing me they're kind of like javelins and they would put the sharp rocks at the end and they would, um, tie them really tight with, uh, the fabric that his mom made out of Acuna fur, actually, he's saying, and they, um, and he's showing me other animals, like, I think it's a sheep, okay, yeah, he's, like, showing me, like, a sheep that they would, I guess they would use the wool, and they would make extra padding in the bottom of their shoes that they made, um, their leather shoes, and they would put the padding from the sheep in the bottom of their shoes so they would walk more quiet, so the Vicuña wouldn't hear them. And they had to walk with the wind. Um, the wind had to be coming at at them because if the wind was going towards the Vicuña, he's saying that the Vicuña could hear them, that, that they could hear, the, um, uh, hear them coming. So they had to make sure the wind was blowing in their faces and it was really hard to see sometimes because it gets very cold and they would walk with these sticks like these spears and the extra padding in their shoes would make it so they would less they would be less loud like that's that's like so clever right see I, I don't know anything about this culture I've never met people from up there yet because I haven't explored the tribal people here so this is cool um, so, and I mean, let alone, you know, 600 years ago. So he's saying that he would walk and they would crouch down and there was these, these, uh, long, very tall grass. And he's showing me, it's kind of like a blonde colored plant, like a, like reeds or, um, okay. So I think it's reeds because it's growing on the side of like this. He's showing me like this body of water and they would have to hide among the reeds so the Vicuña wouldn't see them and they wouldn't smell them because the wind would be blowing at them. And they would smell the Vicuñas though, on the wind. And it, they got very good where a Vicuña was very far away and they couldn't see see it, but they could smell it and they go, ah, oh, yeah, it's in this direction. And they got very, very good at tracking the animals. And he's saying that they would um, capture them sometimes um, just for the fur. And he's like, no. Oh, interesting. He says he would, they would try to capture them. If they found like a nursing mother, they would try to bring the mother and make sure the babies would follow. And then they would try, they could never really domesticate them, but they tried. And sometimes they would keep the mother penned up to make, to have milk sometimes. 
for extra protein because plants don't grow in that elevation very well. The only like the tubers and he showed me corn and beans and, and those um, and like potato like things. And I think also potatoes, there's been, there's like, um, uh, like a thousand different varieties of potatoes in Peru. I think it's the same maybe here. So um, maybe even more than that. And they're all different. Some of them are purple, some are white, some are pink, some are red. It's very, the, the potatoes here are amazing. All right, so, so um, it's an Irish person's dream. <laughs> so he's showing me that they're crouching down and they're very quiet and they motion to each other and they're very silent. And they will sometimes go with ropes and sometimes with spears. If they wanted the vicuña meat, they would, they would, um, they would uh, throw the spear at the neck where it meets the body, and it, and then they would track it until it died and bled out, and then they would, um, they would carry the animal back, and the women would take the hide, and they would turn that into fur, um, like, like coats and clothes and then they would eat the meat and they would dry it out so he's saying they would have the fresh meat but then the rest they would hang and they would dry it out and they packed it with um oh with ahi oh i bet that was so good ahi is like a pepper here it's so good it's the best flavor pepper i've ever had they're very very spicy and if you touch where an ahi was um on a plate or something with your fingers and you can wash your hands 10 times and still touch your eye and you're just going to be in pain for like 20 minutes it's like terrible but <laughs> that way but it, excellent ahi peppers are like my son and i we mix it we chop ahis in cream cheese and we make a dip sometimes it's super good but okay um so he's showing me um so he would, they would take in they would slice the meat very thin and they would pack it with, um, he's showing me different herbs, like different peppers and ahi and garlic. I think it looks like garlic. Um, it's something that looks like shallots, like a, a kind of onion that grows here that's long and skinny, but it's nothing I've ever seen here, but I think it's actually bigger, like huge. Maybe they're leeks is what he's showing me. He doesn't know the name for them, but he's showing me that what an image of them. So, okay. Um, and they would chop everything really fine and cover the meat, he's saying, for two whole days. And then they would hang it out to dry. And they would, um, then when they were ready to eat it, they would soak it in water. And then they would cook it over a fire. And that's how they, that's how they ate it. Um, so it's basically like they made vicuña jerky. <laughs> but then they would reconstitute it a little bit. And he's saying that they would chop it up very fine. And he looks like he's printed in quinoa. So like they would make it with the grains and the tubers and the corn and the potatoes and the beans. And he, they would make like cut the meat really fine and it'd have all that flavor in it of, of the hot and spicy ahi and different things oh, it looks amazing but vicuña meat i haven't had vicuña you guys i've ate, eaten alpaca when i was in peru which made me feel really guilty because i just hugged a whole bunch of them <laughs> um llama you can eat llama meat and alpaca meat and i eat alpaca meat and um 
It was a little sweet, but very dense in protein and soft. It was a good meat. Really good, but it made me kind of sad because... And it was a slightly bit gamey. Not a lot, but just a little bit gamey. And I think it could be depending on how it's prepared, but it's not anything I want to eat again. It made me sad because I love these very gentle and sweet animals, even though they have that edgy spitting thing. When they trust and love you, they're just the sweetest animals and they're so soft and they love to be cuddled and caressed when they're domesticated. And they'll like wrap their giant necks around you. It's so cute. So they like hug you. It's really adorable. So you'll see. So show me what else. Okay. Okay, he's showing me that that uh, they would make clothing for like the tribe, but then also they would trade some of their clothing with other tribal peoples, you know, for different things. They trade it for other clothing or trade like with the tribe who makes shoes or and everyone has a specialty. He's showing me that he really liked a pair of, um, it looks like they're like suede, almost like a moccasin type of shoe. And um, he's showing me a plant. I don't understand what kind of plant this is, Niata. I don't understand. I, I've never seen that before. He's showing me a root of a plant. They dug up the... It almost looks like a mandrake, but I don't know. There's these plants that grow next to where they lived near water, and they dig them up, and the roots are black. And I don't know if that's the soil or what on the roots, but he said that they would cut them up and boil it until it's thick and black, and it had the almost like um, tar kind of energy to it. And they would take the leather shoes, and they would, um, like the moccasins, that you know that's not what they called and that's just what I'm referring to so um, so you guys understand and they would dip just the bottom part in this hot sticky gooey plant stuff and they would let it dry and then they would do it again and he's saying that they would do 10 or 12 passes and that would make like a sole for the shoes so they could um, go farther and the shoes would last longer so that's really cool I didn't know about that either so what else um he's showing me uh that they would have they had brightly colored fabric sometimes and they would trade it with other people for their shoes and he liked one a pair that had like the suede and um but the bottoms they had to add the plant stuff to it but his favorite pair of shoes had rabbit fur and he's saying he really liked the feeling of it because it was very soft and very easy um, to walk in and they would use the laces to tie it up was made with the leather they would just cut the long strips of leather and it, the laces were leather laces from in the leather uh, so he said it was very it was very soft and and then he showed me what it looks like when they got old where the the um, furry part of the suede would go you know after it got wet you know you guys know how this turns out how it gets kind of um, old but he said even then it was still very soft and he's showing me something that they rubbed on it from the animal from the brains he's like yeah okay this is what they do in in the plains indians and or native americans in um north dakota and minnesota also and 
is when the, the women would tan the hides with brains from the animal. Every part of the animal is used. So he's showing me that even though the, the shoes were old, the women would revitalize them by rubbing um, brains into the fabric. So that made it more uh, pliable and soft and they would dry it um, by the fire, but not too close because they don't want to dry too fast. And then he's showing me, um, he said sometimes it would smell weird, but it made it really nice for tracking animals when you're a hunter warrior, because um, then you smell like an animal more and that made it easier to capture. He said, but we didn't take vicuñas very often and he's saying that they left a sacrifice to Pachamama, basically to the earth. And he's showing me that they would take, oh, one, every time they would get a harvest of any kind, they would take the best of everything that they got. And he's showing me roughly like 10% of their food. They would put, they had a big um, bowl, a big flat bowl. It looks like it's made from um, uh, clay and they would, they had um, an offering rock that they would put the big round bowl onto and it would have all of the best of the best. And they knew that when their offering was accepted that the birds would come and they would eat and peck away at like the corn and all the different things. And they would, um, they would pray that that would happen because they wanted to share with nature and that was their bounty for mother earth for Pachamama and he says and you see in this way we lived in harmony with our surroundings and our land and and it was he said it's like our native native version of good karma <laughs> so um they he loved it he would sit and he would hide um he said he had like a like a deer um like a deer uh, tarp <laughs> that he and his brothers when they're very little when they're toddlers he said that they the littlest kids were allowed because they would never scare the um, birds oh and he showed me even condors sometimes would come around when there was meat on the tray but um they have this little it, it, it's not like a teepee but it was almost like a um i don't know how to it's almost like conic but flat on the top and it would go across and it could fit two or three little tiny little boys in and it would, it would and it was a color of the earth it was made with very old leather oh and he's saying from the warrior men when their shoes wore out they would sometimes sew these together for the little boys to watch when the animals come just to, to eat the offering and so but they had to hide so the birds wouldn't see them and they had one little slit in the front and they would peek out they like peep out it's so cute <laughs> this is so adorable what he's showing me they would just peep out and watch the the birds come and, and all the animals come and eat from the tray and one time he said that a deer came and ate from the from there and they laughed so hard and they startled the deer <laughs> and the deer started to go away and his grandmother gave him a very stern look, like, you know, you don't interrupt an animal when it's eating from the offering tray. So, <laughs> that's so cute. So what happened when you were older then? Uh, so you grew up, 
He says, yeah, my brothers and I, we grew up and we became very strong and we we're very proud of ourselves because we had good muscles and white teeth and he's showing me his brother had really, he doesn't know what he looked like, but he knows his brother had really thick eyebrows and he's showing me his very thick um, eyebrows. I think he made fun of his brother for that because it wasn't very common in his tribe. So, <laughs> so he, he's kind of showing me how they kind of tease each other. And he would, he would tease his brother about having his nose as like a bird-like beak is what he's saying. So he made fun of his brother. He says, he says, I don't know, maybe my nose was the same. I'm, yeah, I could kind of see it a little bit, but he's, but you know, just a native nose. He's very handsome. And his brother was really handsome. And so he was, he was like, yeah, we were really like the best of friends, but we we're kind of always teasing each other like rivals. That's normal. He said he had a much younger brother that hung out with more like his cousins, but he and his brother were almost three years apart from each other, but they, they like two and a half to three years apart, and they were like almost like twins, and they were inseparable, best of friends. And um, so what else? Oh, and he says at night, especially on the colder nights, they would stay inside their house and he's showing me that their house looks like it's made from, was it branches of trees and like twigs, the smaller and, and, oh, okay, plants that they gathered from the river and they made these um, shelters and sometimes they threw animal tarps on them, like animal skin tarps and what else? And then sometimes his, you know, like, or he said that for a while they had a cloth door that his grandmother wove and around the opening of the door they had um, flowers and um, different symbols that meant it was basically from their tribe but from their family. They said that they had, um, all the tribal people had, like each family had their own, and but his family was pretty extended. There was a lot of people and it was like just kind of round and he's showing me that they had I hope, you know, I'd like to go up to Kita and see if this is any, if I could substantiate this would be awesome. But he's saying that they were, um, they all pretty much just, they had bedding that they put on the floor around the edges of the, of the tent and then the centers where they had um, chairs that they made. He's showing me sometimes people would like make chairs out of rocks or they make them out of, um, out of uh, uh, sticks, branches, and these really super hard reeds that grow near the um, the pond where they lived. And they had um, like mats they made that their, their grandmother and his mother, they made these um, just kind of like sitting mats and they made them very comfortable. And sometimes they had fur on them or fur inside them, like from sheep sometimes I think he's showing me it's hard to see but he said they were comfortable they were always very comfortable and they sit around and their their place was so big they could put a fire in the middle was there a hole at the top he's saying yeah it was like a hole at the top of the structures to let the, the smoke out and they would sit around and the grandmother and the grandfather would take turns telling stories and the other elders from other families would come and they would um 
sometimes have big gatherings with everybody in the tribe together, but um, that was just once or twice a week, but the rest of the time they were all together, just the family and extended family under one. So he's like, if there were married couples and they had their children stay with them in a little part of it, it was, it was a pretty big structure. He says maybe 20 people, maybe 30 would stay in this. So it's like pretty interesting. So can you tell me what happened when you grew up? He says he, he watched his father die. He got sick and he was coughing a lot. And when his father died, they had a ceremony for him. And then he became the um, in charge. Were you the chief? He says, no. He says only of the family. He was in charge of the family. We became the man. He was older, he was older and his brother was younger than him. The, um, the one that was closer in age to him. And then they had their younger brother. And he said that, um, so what else? So what else happened after that? He said the Incans came and they had to go to war with them. And it was the first time they'd ever seen anything like that. They were upset because they were encroaching upon their land and they wanted to make their empire. They wanted to settle. And um, what happened was, um, let's see, I have it here. I can give you guys a little bit of a, um, let's see here. Uh, trying to see, um, ba -ba -ba. I'm looking this on Wikipedia. I had this queued up. Um, I don't know. The it was see the Incans when they came. I'm trying to see who. I I know it's like Wanakapak was one of the guys at the end. They were here for like um, yeah. Okay, it says. Um, The present Republic of Ecuador is at the heart of the region where a wide variety of civilizations developed for millennia. During the pre-Inca period, people lived in clans, which formed great tribes, some allied with each other to form powerful confederations as a confederation of Quito. And by the way, the word um, Quito in Spanish means I quit, but it is not a Spanish word. It's taken from Quitus, which is the name of one of the tribes there. Before, long before Spanish was spoken here. So, but none of the confederations could resist the formidable momentum of the Tawantinsuyu, which is basically the Grand Incan Empire. The invasion of the Inca in the 15th century was very painful and bloody, but once occupied by the Quito hosts of Huanacapac, the Incas developed an extensive administration and then they began to colonize the region. See, there was two brothers. Okay, um, it doesn't say. So, okay, yeah, there were two brothers and the in the Incas, and one of the brothers, lit, he was here, and he was, like, making it, like, holding. They made it. They loved it so much. They made Quito the, um, Cusco was the number one, um, like, 
governmental head of the Incan Empire, basically. And then the second one was Quito because they fell in love with the city. But um, the brother who ended up living here was like, he was starting to feel like it was the era of the ways. And the second brother came from Cusco and he said, you have to conquer these people and we have to make this whole thing an Incan world. And he said, I don't agree because I love these people and I love this area basically. And they fought, the two brothers fought. And when he, I think it was Juan Capac, he killed his brother. And when he killed his brother, then that was the end of the Incan empire here basically. And that's the way I understand it. I don't know if that's 100% correct, but it's kind of the way that I understand it. now. This person that we're talking to now, Niata, he did not see the fall of the Incan Empire. Okay, so he um, he died in 1475, and the Incan Empire um, went um, until uh, 1532. And then the Spaniards came towards the end of that. So it was like the Incans came to conquer the people, and then the Spaniards came and conquered the Incans, but it, it was like it was kind of overlapping, but not very much. Okay, so can you tell me more about your adulthood, Nyata? Um, he says, I, I took a wife. I had a little girl and a little boy. And another little girl. And anymore, he says, no, just the three. So two girls and a boy. He says he was happy to be able to raise his um, son as a warrior like him oh but he's like saying but my daughters were the like they were the love of my life they were the loves of my life he said I really loved my wife but my children my my little girls were they were like he's showing he's not saying this but he's kind of like the apple of my eye type of energy like um, he said oh he's saying they were my little Papitas, my little potatoes. <laughs> he, he's like, you know, it's it's. He's not saying papitas because obviously it's not. You know, he wouldn't be in Spanish, but he's like showing me little these little pink potatoes, and so he's like saying they were my little pink potatoes. That's what he called them, like, because they were always blushing. Their cheeks would get blushed, but also because of the wind there, that a lot of times their cheeks would get um, really red and chafed because the winds were very strong and so it was something that it happened to most of the people there and he's showing that they had to they had um special medicine that they had to rub on their on their cheeks at night when they fell asleep and it, he's showing me it's the oil that they use to cook but i think it's from an oil from the meat somehow and he's showing me some herbs and plants that they use to put on their little cheeks and Oh, interesting. It was like a mint. He's showing me that they rubbed a kind of a mint on his on his little girl's feet, and then they would wrap their feet in cloth. And if it was very cold, they would put um, the shoes on. They but they had the house shoes that were only inside, and the shoes that were for outside. But he said that they would rub um, mint on the bottoms of their feet to make sure that they always were healthy and strong. So that sounds really interesting. So then he, he, he showed me they had these long strips of kind of off-white cloth that they wove, the simple cloth he calls it, and they wrapped the feet in that. Um, 
he said they very rarely got sick. They, they were very healthy people overall. And when they, and if they did get sick, they would also rub the mint on their foreheads and on their chest. And he was showing me it's not a traditional mint like we think. It's, it's like something that grows just like a wild herb. It just grows everywhere. Um, he's showing me that, that they would they would boil water and make a tea out of it too. And it was part of their tradition. And they found um, sugar cane, I think he's showing me. Um, he says it was very sweet, so I'm thinking it's sugar cane. And because it looks like I've had sugar cane, it's very good. And so he said that they would chop that with the, with this other plant. And then the adults would add something else that looked like a bitter root. He's saying it's like a bitter root. And it was like, um, oh, like chicory maybe. And, or maybe, but he's showing me something that's brown. Was it coffee? He's like, oh yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, they put mint in their coffee? Oh, interesting. And he, yeah, so he's showing me the tea that they made and it's like basically a coffee tea combined. Oh, that sounds really good. Mint coffee, I never thought about that. And he said there's these yellow flowers that they would put in it sometimes too, in this, like, I guess the equivalent of springtime or summer when they grow. All right, interesting. So what happened when you died? He said it was a horrible battle. And even though they thought they were great warriors, they weren't prepared. And were you on horses? He says, no, we were just, and now were the Incans on horses? He said, no. There were just so many of them. He show, he's showing me there's all these men. They just, they, they had, um, they look like blood smeared on their chests. They have bare chests and they have blood smeared on them. But then they think it was actually berry juice, but they were very scared and it intimidated them. And they were wondering why did they go without shirts, you know, like, cause it was cold. And he's showing that he got a spear to his right side. Oh, yeah, he's showing me his wound now. I'm showing my eyes so I could see in my mind's eye. And it's like I could see where the blood was just pouring out of his right side. And he just, he, he couldn't get back to his camp and he fainted because of the pain and all the blood loss and he doesn't really know what happened to his body. He doesn't, he doesn't, he didn't see it or he can't remember. And he said, I guess it was such a loss because I'm feeling his pain now. He's saying his wife and his daughters with their rosy cheeks and his little son, was, that was the last thought that he had. He just hoped that they knew that he, he loved them with all of his might and he doesn't really know what happened to them because he didn't see them again after that he just said that it was just all these men he showed all the men in the row and they just came and they kept marching and marching and marching and he said the one that was in charge he thought it was maybe the chief at least of that part of the Incan people and he had like a white um, uh, he said it was like a white robe but when he stretched it out he could see that is on the inside it was like the um uh, feathers of a condor 
was uh, the pattern sewn into this white robe. And he said it just, he said it was magnificent and it was taken aback. Like so many men, why are they covered in blood? Like all these thoughts. And then, then this man stepped forward and he was in charge of everyone. And he took off this beautiful white, like kind of like a cape. And, and he showed the condor and he was, he thinks he was using some kind of magic to get everybody riled up on his side and they knew what they were doing. They were, their purpose, they had their mindset completely. And he listened to me read that book yesterday. So he was kind of saying like, he feels like that's what happened. Like they used their will and their, their energy of what their mind wanted. And it just overpowered them because they weren't expecting it. It just came and all the people from his village, they had been out just doing their thing. Like thinking, he said they were vicuña hunting when the people came up just so fast. And um, they just, he feels that's what he, what happened. That they just killed him and and his friends and he, he thinks his wife and kids were safe because they were pretty far away from them but he's not really sure and he's been worried about them ever since and he says now that you told me how old I, I am or how long it's been since I died then I know that they aren't here anymore now that's why he decided to find me to go to the light Oh, Niata, thank you so much for explaining your story. Before you go, do you want to tell us about the spirituality and the spiritual beliefs of your people? He says, yeah, I would like to. And if you want to talk to me again, I'm going to put you into the light, but so you could go and be reunited with your family, but you could always come back and I can channel you again. He says, oh, that's great. I would love that. Okay. So, but tell me first about the spirituality part. Yeah. Okay. He said we had an energy that we all shared and we talked about it. The elders talked about it. It was like, um, he showed me like a very dark bluish purple, uh, and also with a reddish violet energy on top of that. And when they would sit and in an oval shape in their lodge, sometimes he would see it. And it would go like from the center of their chest, like their heart, but then it would kind of extend out in front of them, like about a foot and a half. And he saw this energy in a circle and he feels that this was the energy of love that held them all together and made them um, a family unit in the tribe. And then the greater tribe, he's saying there was like an orange and a red energy that surrounded the outside and he thinks that the um, the witches of the you know they were like um, or wizards or brujos would come and they would around the tribe. They had the red and the orange energy up. It would be like a warning energy, and he could see energy, and he saw it all the time when he'd go outside and then leave the tribe and he'd come back. He'd see like this red and orange energy around around the um, outside. But when you get inside, there's also blue and green energy and it's very peaceful and very calm. And among his um, 
immediate family was just absolutely this purple, very high vibration. And he always saw that when they would, when they would pray together, they would put their hands down, face palms down on their legs, like by their knees, and they would pray and they would hum together. And this humming would make sure that they were all vibrating in unison together. And they would hum while imagining love in the center of the room and then exploding out. Not really exploding, but it would like go to the center and then flow up to the top. And then it would come down the sides of the teepee. Or, no, I'm sorry, it's not like a teepee. It's like a kind of like a tent like shelter, but it was round. It wasn't called a teepee, obviously. But, um, but he's showing me that it goes up and then it came back around. And then they would cover the earth with an energy of green, which was healing like the mint plant that they used. And they all had to imagine it. And then in the center, there was like the pole that held the whole thing up and that was white energy is what they imagined on that. And they would, um, okay, so like the, they would, they would give the first best pieces of meat to the condors, which are like vultures are enormous. They're like, their wings are like 18 feet across. They're huge, huge birds. I saw them when, when we were in Peru and we were talking about going to see them again here in Ecuador. Condors are really beautiful birds. So he said they give the best cut of meat to the condors. Oh, and he said, and we would ask that the condor would bring, you know, in, in return as a favor to bring the good, um, to ask the great spirit in the sky basically to um, protect them all. And they would feed the condor because the condor had the strongest wings and can fly to heaven to ask God to protect them, basically. So the second best cut of meat, they would hold um, in the best esteem and they would put it very high up on the pole in the center of their lodging because that was for their ancestors to gather around because they always wanted their ancestors to be with them so that they were strengthened as a family unit unit by always remembering to feed their ancestors and at the bottom of the pole they would put um, bowls of corn and um, beans and these potatoes like tubers and a bowl of mint so that in the afterlife their ancestors would always be healthy and they show, he showed me garlic and ahi and and the ground maize that they turn into um, bread. And so he says that the, he's showing me there's like a bunch of bowls that look like they're made from um, clay. And they were very plain and simple. They didn't they were simple bowls. They didn't think about decorating them like some tribes, but they just put them around the cent, the central pole. And that was the family, um, that was the family, um, for the ancestors. But sometimes if they had animals, like that were pets, did you have dogs? No. Did you have cats? Yeah. He says sometimes they have cats and they would come around and when the cats would eat from those bowls, they knew that the ancestors were with them. So they just allowed it. 
and he showed me sometimes rats would come in that was also from the ancestors so if any animal like even if it's a small mouse or something it, they would allow it because it would be a sign that the ancestors wanted to um, commune with them and be with them and depending on the animal and the time of day that meant something oh that's very interesting sometimes it was a warning or sometimes it was and so they paid attention and he says uh was it one of your aunts one of his aunts would write down um like she would like draw in the dirt with a stick like inside the lodging um and it's like it was, he said near the door that was like all dirt they had rugs everywhere else but she would like like take notes of what the animals were and then they would get together and the tribal leaders would get together and kind of decide what it meant, if anything. You know, what kind of animal at what time. And so they kind of used that. It was like their magic. In the clouds, they would see uh, signs as well as warnings. And they thought something was going to happen when the Incas came, but they didn't know exactly what the Incas were. Like, So they didn't quite understand how to read the signs. They just knew that they needed to get vicuñas for meat so that they could be safe and have because they thought they might not have a time in the future to hunt which it turned out to be clear <clears throat> but they were overtaken by the Incas and they were killed and so they didn't get the meat to their families in time and that's basically what happened alright you guys I'm going to release him to the light he says after the recording, I guess he wants to talk to me more. All right. Well, there it is. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was very, at least very interesting for me. It gives us some insight as to how people lived almost 600 years ago in the highest part of the Andes mountains here in Ecuador. <laughs> it's very interesting. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you guys tomorrow. He's going to tell me what they believe so that I could help him in the correct way. Okay, he says he might want to stay with me another day. He's enjoyed his time with me so far. All right. <laughs> okay, Niata Panchun Garata. Thank you so much for being with us and telling us more about your culture and your life. You've preserved a piece of history that most people don't know. In fact, maybe no one knew. He says, yeah, I... 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 Cha. Are you saying like Aicha? Aicha Acha Chinta China? Oh. Oh, I know who he's related to. He's like saying like Aicha Acha Chinta China means, at least in um, Chiricahua Apache tribe, that means I hope that we see each other if we both live that long. I will see you again if we both should live so long. He's saying, yeah. How do you know that? Oh, it's so weird. I know that there were people that when the Spaniards came, they went from Peru all the way to the Four Corners. So maybe some of his people escaped, and maybe that's where this comes from. That might be Quechua, the Apache. That's very interesting. Um, I know my friend, is her mom is Peruvian, and she speaks Spanish, and yet she's she grew up in New Mexico, and she's was shocked to find out that's where they get the blue corn of the Hopis and the, all the tribal people there. It all came from the purple corn given to 
well, the Incas back in the day from the aliens. So <laughs> from the extraterrestrials, that's a whole nother thing. But you guys got to go read or go listen to the purple passions of Peru to hear about that. I talked about all the purple gifts that the uh, aliens came and gave. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the, the episode tonight. I love you guys. Thank you for being my listener and for favoriting or subscribing or whatever it's called on your app. Um, and thank you for forwarding it to like-minded folks as well and your Facebook groups and all that. Um, yeah, well, there you have it. I hope you had a lovely Sunday. I love you guys so, so much. And I'll be back tomorrow with all unique and original programming. We are continuing, I believe, with part... It's either part 9 or part 10 tomorrow with... Um, oh, the Spirits book by Alan Kardec. So that's going to be tomorrow. And that's it. I'm signing off <laughs> with peace and joy and the high vibes of the Holy Fifth Dimension. Until next time, guys. Peace. Aicha Acha Chinta China. That's from Niata. Do you ever wish you could look into the next chapter in your book of life and see what's coming next? What does the universe have in store for you? I can help you with that. I will give you a Celtic cross reading, which is 10 cards, or you can ask me three questions and I use three cards per question. So that's nine cards, or I can channel your higher guidance, or maybe God directly for you. Maybe you want to talk to your dear departed Aunt Edna, because maybe you have a few questions and she was the smartest person you knew. If you're deceased relatives are available or your ascended masters, I can channel them for you personally. Let me have one hour to show you the future in your next chapter of your book of life. Readings are $75 and it takes me an hour to an hour and a half to complete. And for this price, you will also be hooked up to the healing grid around the planet for free, which means yours truly, me, I will be giving you Reiki 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. All you have to do is let me know, metaphysicalsoulspeak at gmail.com, and we will explore your future together.